0: In
1: China,
0: China different, different stories. stories. We are the one founder, founder, way, way life, in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. Yay! Well, welcome Hello. to the
1: podcast and recording. I'm Hello. so excited. We finally got this. Thank you thank you for having me on here i'm so excited it's i am great.
0: Too. I'm very excited to see you well yeah. talk to you too uh yeah of course recent but yes yeah. let me do the intro <laughs> all right welcome to abc Adoptive babies from china podcast i'm tara the host and i'm excited to speak with sage today We started speaking, I believe, through Instagram, which has been my main source of people contacting and networking. It's awesome. It was wonderful to keep in contact with Sage during this time, and now we are able to record after some few trials of technical difficulties, as we all know. I've been yeah. (laughs) So, Sage, you are in Canada.
1: I am. Yes. Um, I live in Ottawa, uh, the nation's capital, province of Ontario.
0: I always like to ask right off the bat, because sometimes I do an intro, sometimes I don't, but I really do think it'd be better. It's always better when the other person interests themselves, but yes, please share more about your story, your adoption, where it was, when it was, all that fun stuff.
1: Yeah, I'll start off with my pronouns. I use they them pronouns. Um I'm, I'm gender queer and gender fluid. I was adopted at twenty one months from Beijing. And I was adopted by my mom. She's a single mother by choice. And we originally lived in Montreal, uh, which is Quebec. I don't know if you everyone knows that, but um yeah, and then we moved to Ottawa within my first I guess year in Canada. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I grew up in a pretty diverse Um, community of folks Um, I went to an elementary school with a lot of a lot of especially brown folks um, and black folk as well Mm -hmm. um, and Asian folks and then I got into a special high school for the arts uh, which was really amazing Um, I think most people have horrible time in in high school but I had a pretty okay time because of uh, my Mm -hmm. arts program. Um, It was really amazing. I would say it was less diverse, but I seem to have met quite a few other uh, adoptees, actually. Um, Quite a few Chinese adoptees, uh, which is cool. I had fun with my art. And then I thought I was going to go and do um, a bachelor's in fine arts and visual arts, something like painting or possibly ceramics or something and then i totally switch and then i took a biology course and i loved it so i went into science um i study science right now at university um i'm in my third year of my undergraduate program and i love it um and yeah i want to do research um focusing on um trans and bipoc mental health um And with a focus on trauma um, and as well, integrate some aspects of um, adoption um, in there as well, because I feel like there's not as many resources out there for adoptees um, or at least on my end of the world. So, yeah. Ooh,
0: that's pretty fascinating that you went to a high school that was focused on arts sort of like more creative work, and then you decided to pursue more of a scientific career. I feel like I hear the opposite happens a lot more, but
1: it goes both ways.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's
1: interesting. I find that um, science and the arts um, are quite similar in, in ways that maybe we wouldn't expect. I think that both fields require a lot of creativity, a lot of thinking outside the box um and a lot of divergent thinking a lot of kind of really really a lot of like almost like courage to try something that's never been done right. before you know um a lot of a lot of discoveries in science really just happened by chance and i think that also a lot of amazing artworks have also kind of come from spur of the moment as well so yeah
0: you started off and i don't think i personally have been able to speak with somebody especially on the podcast too, who identifies as like genderqueer or using they, them pronouns as well. Yeah. So I know I personally go by she, her pronouns. And then I, I guess gender-wise, I've never really thought of it too much, but I guess attracted to is it heterosexual. Is that, is that a Yeah. Okay. I had to think about that. It's like, uh, this quarantine has killed some of my brainwaves I'm gonna be honest but (laughs) I have to really think about it and I do think there's a lot more conversation that's being had conversation that should be more open and more positive around gender identity but I definitely speaking more about your journey with learning more about yourself and how you became more in tune with what you identified with your gender too
1: yeah Yeah, I think the first thing I'd like to mention is that I think it's really um, just as everyone kind of um, a lot of folks will kind of take some time to reflect on how they identify, say, with their race or other various um, aspects of their um, identity. I think it's an interesting um, and quite important thing to kind of reflect on your own gender and it doesn't have to be this whole like am i trans or not it can be sort of like okay say like you who um identifies um as female okay interesting like what aspects Mm -hmm. do i find really do i define as female are there certain do i find certain like say makeup or clothes or certain things like that um certain hobbies that i have do i find that they how do they align with my personal identity as female because everyone experiences their gender in so many ways there are infinite amount of ways to to experience say just the female gender let alone all other genders and kind of say okay it's interesting how certain aspects of my Of my identity as female may align with what society sees as female and what and there may be some things that you see that align as female that don't always align with at least our western society so I think it's something kind of nice for everyone to consider just as a point but that was a side tangent I always (laughs) knew I was some form of Well, I didn't know that transgender was a word until quite later on in my, um, in my life. I always knew that I was part, almost like part girl, but part something else. I was quite femme as a child, but I also noticed that there were certain traits that society viewed as femme, uh, views currently as well as femme, and that I don't necessarily understand, I don't necessarily understand why dresses and skirts are kind of seen as feminine or more pastel colors, things like that. My my interest in art, I see um, as very tied to my gender as well. And a lot of people, or at least I feel like a lot of people see us like, oh, the artsy people, they're all like Girls and stuff like that, but I never understood that. And so, it, I, I, it's interesting. I went so at my um at my high school, I did meet quite a few um, trans folk. um, Although they were only uh, either trans men or trans women, and I knew that I'm not a trans guy. I know that I'm not 100% male, um, and I knew I wasn't 100% female. So I knew there was identified with some you know male traits but i didn't i didn't have a word yet and then i got to university and i joined the um lgbtq center um and i met i had my first experience meeting genderqueer and and non-binary folks um and then it was really such um such a game changer for me really um and ever since you know i've been on this journey of figuring out uh, my gender and realizing that um it ebbs and flows and it can change and it can change over time and yeah i think that's been really such a great thing for me to be able to yeah learn all about these different identities um, and to see myself reflected in um, at least my small community of folks at my, um, at the center at university. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: I was thinking about this while you were talking because I don't know if I personally understand what "fem" the whole definition, really is also. Yeah, asking. no
1: worries. Um, I'll define from like a Western kind of context. So. Okay. So I see them as kind of traits that are stereotypically um, viewed as um, female, I guess, with girls. So for example, okay. um, our society thinks um, sees girls as having long hair and dresses and makeup and things like that and good with, you know, linguistics and writing and the arts. And then masculine is, you know, stuff. Traits that are seen in in men and boys, and so more like uh, pants and sports, and and <laughs> the maths and the sciences in some ways, or logic and that kind of thing, and of course there's a spectrum be- um, that kind of flows between the two. And not to confuse everyone, but there's also spectrums that lie outside of that as well. We don't really talk about spectrums that lie outside from male to female, Mm. but um, at least for a lot of folks um, and in a lot of cultures as well, there um, there are gender spectrums that are outside of that. So I would say I lie outside of that in many ways my gender a lot of times kind of aligns with fluidity and the cosmos. Um, And I kind of have a strong identity with, um, say, the expansive universe or things like that. Other people might have a gender that very much aligns with, say, their astrological sign or other people. Yeah, it's, Whoa. Really I didn't wild. realize
0: there was the, the, the such the wide span of different yeah. spectrums you had because I do think sometimes and this goes into another question but as, I mean we're as people in general it also c- occurred to me while you were speaking and it just was interesting that various cultures around the world sometimes it's the opposite the expectations of I want to say what's expected of feminine and masculinity too because depending on the area and i I guess it maybe down to evolution at the core of it well I always like to say and nobody would be surprised <laughs> that I would say something like this but we all started without clothing so I don't know why there's so much pressure about yeah what, what clothing I mean... people should wear I want to say this not sounding bad because I don't think it sounds bad when I say it. it's very like honest is people are very spiritual right and you have people who attribute a lot of decisions and what they do maybe to a religion or a another area i want to say ultimately we all have in common of course for this podcast is we're all, all adoptees from china who mostly are adopted by families of that are like white or like trans transracial adoption right so it's like we have you have already thinking about as you're growing up you're thinking about a lot of what you what kind of religion if you want to identify and practice one you're thinking about who you are attracted to other people you're also thinking about probably the fact that you're adopted too i wonder because i speak with a lot of people when they talk about these various areas but i know i haven't been able to speak with somebody like yourself where were you understanding more about yourself in relation to your adoption and also with your uh, gender identity too around the same time or is it kind of different parts of your life and it's guess,
1: quite it's yeah quite to you. i think they were quite separate for a while um so i um let's see i didn't really think about my adoption quite a lot um i knew i was adopted obviously Um, you know, we always celebrated, um, got me day and, um, you know, like the day I was adopted and, um, we would, um, have like celebrations for lunar new year and things like that. But I didn't really think about it until actually quite, um, a really difficult, uh, friendship breakup, um, in high school and a few other fairly traumatic things, (laughs) um, and then it really, the idea of, wow, I guess I have some sort of trauma related to abandonment and then really kind of seeing the link between that and adoption. And that's when I started considering um, that, or really diving into my um, my identity as an ad- adoptee. And in terms of my gender as well, like it. I suppose my journey with my gender maybe started a little bit earlier. I knew that something was not quite right for me when puberty happened. Um, I have some form of dysphoria or discomfort with certain parts of my body that I feel like don't, you know, say like my chest. I don't exactly feel like that. I um, that is something that aligns with my gender Um, but I think it was only in university that I noticed that my trans identity is really interconnected with my uh, my identity as an adoptee because considering doing more research and thinking about the whole say um, the one child policy and I always Mm -hmm. had that narrative as I imagine a lot of uh, a lot of folks and you as well that you know you were you were given up because China value has values boys more than girls and they couldn't take care of you and you know the whole of course they loved you but they wanted you to go um, um, you know to to have a family that really can take care of you um, and a lot of that was sex-based and then realizing wow okay I guess yes, on the outside I look like a girl. Um, you know, the doctors looked at me and said, Yeah, girl, and um and I suppose um kind of coming to terms with the fact that just because my sex is quite um like tied to my adoption does not invalidate my gender because yeah, I mean and coming to terms with the fact that also my gender is quite looks quite feminine on the outside as well in many ways.
0: Right.
1: Um right. and um being quite comfortable in certain roles and clothes that um people would see as feminine and as as a girl kind of Yeah, just trying to be okay with that and trying to keep the bigger picture in mind that um you know my sex is not my gender um so yeah 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 and i i don't know if that makes sense (laughs) it
0: does it does it really does I, i i definitely agree that well in general just hearing and it's actually really enlightening to speak with you about this because it's i don't know how many opportunities have come up personally for me to speak with somebody and i do think this podcast is a way that people are hearing about one another's stories especially even amongst adoptees like this is an opportunity for ex-adoptees to like reach out to you if they have questions more as well as they work through their adoption and life and it's 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 a bummer it hasn't been as normalized until it seems just recently that it's becoming more normalized especially in the U.S. I've noticed in the pandemic and everything that happened there with the racism and the shooting against black men, primarily black men, is now there's conversations more and it's becoming hopefully normalized now to speak more about gender diversity, inclusion. And so it's really, it's really wonderful that you're, you're, you're willing to like speak so openly about it too.
1: Yeah, no worries. Um, And there is among the highest Um, demographic of folk who are um, targeted by the police are also um, trans women of color and trans feminine people of color. And so realizing um, how the intersection of um, transphobia and misogyny and racism kind of blend together and how much our society really is intolerant and wants to get rid of um, anything, um, or sorry, any any people who are, who align with those identities. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I do, I believe in U.S. history, there was a period where a lot of beatings and attacks were towards women and men, because at that time, I guess they only identified, like, gay and lesbian women, right? I, I believe in U.S. history, there was a time where a lot of target attacks were just on gay men and lesbian women at the time. I'm sure there was more
1: yeah. individuals
0: identifying with different gender identities, yeah. but primarily, so,
1: so, oh, sorry, oh, um, no, I was gonna say, yeah, it's gonna a I bummer, I wanted to mention that- um yeah, so ba- um back in the sixties and seventies and eighties, um more in the eighties, I don't know why I said sixties, but <laughs> a lot of trans folk um identified with the the um the term butch or femme um to uh mean um feminine trans identities or masculine trans identities. And so uh, specifically Marsha P. Johnson, um, a black trans femme, as well as Sylvia Rivera, another Latinx, I believe, um, trans femme. They were both the ones who started crying and they were the ones who started the Stonewall um, riots. And it's because of trans femme people of color that now we have uh, more rights for queer and trans folk and why we have pride. Um, And a lot of people um, associate pride with, you know, white, gay, cisgender. Um, Cisgender meaning people who identify with the um, gender they're assigned at birth. So um, assigned male at birth and identify as male in their gender Um, and, you know, society, usually sees pride as like these these white cis gay men who are kind of um and they're often portrayed as the face of the queer kind of the queer population and the ones who are leading the fight for um for equality but we have to remember our roots you know we have to remember who who really started this and who are still the, um, the targets, so.
0: There's still a lot, a lot of progression to be made, essentially. Yeah. Because I, I have noticed that too, even not being so involved with the community in that, in that respect, I have noticed that it is primarily, I mean, with many things, it's like the white, the white male is the face of pretty much any sort of, well, (laughs) yeah. A lot of progression to be made in the world probably put in a break all right back on it perfect because we're getting deep into this conversation yeah it is a pretty, I feel like it's a pretty, Thanks, good. It's, a very, it's a very involved conversation because it's not one I personally have had a lot and I don't think okay. many people have. And I think sometimes people are using this podcast to learn about various types of perspectives no. on everything. And because I, I don't think it's my goal to really focus on, Uh, I don't want to say, like, advocating for, like, a specific cause. Like, that's not my goal with this. It's really – I don't know if I was telling you or somebody else that I was like, oh, I'm really using this more as, like, an archive. So people who share – Yes, you mentioned that, yeah. Okay, I did, yeah. So people are using this more as an archive. (laughs) I don't do any fact-checking on history or facts about – so that's why it's cool to speak with people who can – provide their experience because you would have expertise if you are experiencing it.
1: Right. I, I don't know. I'm somewhat knowledgeable. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: yeah. I would say you're definitely more knowledgeable than most people that I've spoken with on this particular topic of gender identity and gender queer. I was telling somebody it's like, oh, I spoke with somebody who uses they them pronouns and their gender fluid and then their response was like i don't even know what that means it's like i didn't either until we talked so
1: i didn't either until like okay like like two years ago
0: oh right because i didn't
1: know the the terms yeah exactly Um, and by the way may i um i just want to mention that you're using the pronouns really well like like you're completely grammatically correct in the way that you use them because a lot of folks think like they, them. Okay, so they is, and you, but you use it the same way you would if you were um, talking mm. to multiple people. A lot of people think, well, you know, they, them, that's not grammatically correct. And um, it's actually been, uh, it, it is. It's been used since biblical times.
0: Right. Um,
1: it's been used in Shakespeare. Uh, it's been used in, I believe, Dickens and those literary works. And when you think of, say, for example, of like someone, yeah, so like you go to a restaurant and you get to your table and you see a wallet left on the table, well, you're probably going to say, oh, excuse me, waiter, um, someone left their wallet on the table. Right. And without even thinking, you just use they, them pronouns. Uh, most people, some people will say someone left his or her wallet. But I feel like most people I know at least would say someone left their wallet so a lot right. a lot of times using they them pronouns without really consciously realizing it. Um, but yeah, I think it's
0: a general consensus that English is quite a complicated language. As yeah, is. I think even in Mandarin, possibly the referring to another individual his or her is actually the same principle a like, character and everything. So like, okay, top is. Right? It's just referring to that person, like you. Oh,
1: I know nothing about Mandarin. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. Because it's like when you say they are they are or them, I think you say like ta men. You don't say like okay. oh, yeah. I don't know. Someone who's speaking Mandarin and very more fluent could always check out yeah. like I don't think we use that. English is the only one where there are so many variables that are making yeah make the language harder to speak. Well,
1: <laughs> there's a lot of like exceptions. Like there's a lot of yeah, English is the gr- like the grammar in English makes no sense. I feel for folks who are uh, learning it as a second language. Um yeah, it's interesting for example like um French cuz from Canada and oh, yeah. so I speak French and um french has grammatical gender so nouns are either feminine or masculine like la pom um the apple is feminine for some reason everything is it's quite binary and so it's it's very difficult um to accommodate folks um, who are off the gender mi- binary who are genderqueer or uh, non-binary um, there are certain pronouns in French I use E S, so I-E-L um, as my mm, pronouns but the thing is that it's quite difficult um, to use it in many cases so I'm quite I feel quite privileged that my first language is English and then I don't have to speak French unless I'm back in my hometown really now Ah, so yeah
0: I think I have it a little bit easier because I'm only saying you and your more too especially in this context I I I would say thinking about the use of the pronouns properly is not as challenging because I am saying you and your experience and I think if I'm speaking about you though okay so these I think are really nice educational pieces though that i didn't know so.
1: yeah yeah there's a bunch of like resources i've seen on like different books on like how to um use neo-pronouns as well neo-pronouns are pronouns that are also like they them are used for folks who are non-binary genderqueer but um they don't nece- they're not necessarily in the english um, dictionary so for example um, I know someone who uses these pronouns so Z went to the store Z like Zer purchase um, or oh. am and other there's so many different pronouns that you can use and I'm you know I, I was like oh, okay I got the they them pronouns after like you know two years okay in fact I I identify with them so now I know how to use them and I know how to like refer to myself all right uh and then I'm like all right there's neo pronouns okay now I have to get used to these ones and so it's always you're constantly learning yeah
0: okay that's really that's refreshing and very comforting to hear
1: Yeah. experience
0: too it's very comforting because I I sometimes personally feel very guilty if I misuse pronouns for somebody when they don't depending on what they identify or she or he identifies with too Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: especially now in the present time it seems much more people might be more sensitive or maybe not so I'm just putting it out there because I admit it's like man this is really hard to grasp my head around how this really works and
1: yeah it's okay it's it's difficult it takes time to learn um in my experience and um i know a lot of genderqueer folk and non-binary folk and trans folk in fact i would say most of my friends are trans um and and kind of the consensus that we all kind of have at least for us is you know if you mess up it's fine you can just be like oh sorry and then correct yourself and then move on you don't need to make a big deal out of it making a big deal out of it can kind of make everyone feel a little bit awkward and yes. like as long as you kind of like like kind of try and correct yourself no worries it's all good i'm constantly correcting myself i still mess up all the time and refer to myself by the wrong pronouns so we're all human um, it's all good. Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, I guess that's the one thing we all have in common is everybody is human. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
0: I guess we could backtrack to the question about relationships. I think it'd be very fascinating to hear your perspective to normalization also of society's expectations of relationships, too. Would you be able to my curiosity? I think it, it was fascinating when we spoke about it before, but how relationships work for you.
1: Yeah, so um, basically kind of our society has this idea that uh, romantic and sexual relationships um, are number one priority. Um, you might have family second and then um, friends afterwards or the other way around, but usually our society sees romantic um, partnerships as the you know your most important ones um and kind of what we should almost strive to like as if like oh you know this compliment well you're so you're so nice and you're so good looking why don't you have a partner oh shame that you don't you know things like that and like I think that it can be um kind of damaging because I think that um there's so much value in um every type of relationship there's actually a relationship style because that's called relationship anarchy i don't know very much about it but a lot of the principles are the idea um that every relationship is um is equal and no one no relationship is more yeah it's worth more than the other um and oh, being able okay. to value all forms of relationships uh with queer um relationships and i'm just going to make a, a quick side note um a lot of folks use the term queer but there are some folks who prefer lgbtq so it's always nice to check in with folks um i find that folks who are uh kind of younger will use queer um but i'm just going to use queer as a catch all but know that okay it depends on the person i see right um, right that makes sense yeah but um with queer relationships they can be quite nuanced um and so there are for example the aromantic and the asexual community they uh will first of all define the terms um aromantic means that in general you don't have romantic feelings for um other people or you might uh, experience those feelings in a way that we don't um um that you don't really see in our typical society um asexual is you don't have sexual feelings towards someone um and so a lot of folks who are on the aromantic or asexual spectrum um will have partnerships that are that are non-romantic or non-sexual um and we see uh they're typically viewed as um or sorry they're called queer platonic partnerships or queer platonic relationships um and so these folks can like they'll um have children together they'll get married they'll move in things like that and so they still have a their partnership is very analogous to um, a romantic partnership um you'd see in a lot of other folks who are romantic or sexual but um, I think, like, realizing that there's so much nuance and there's so many ways in which you can connect with a person that um, they're, like, the hierarchy really breaks down when when you consider all those different um, ways you can connect to someone. I see. Yeah. yeah. So it's,
0: okay. I think by asking that question, too, it's sort of, reinstates that normalization that society has done because what I took from everything you just said is it's really we're all humans and there's different preferences that everybody has so yeah. well, what do you know society's yeah. done a number on everybody
1: <laughs> yeah and I see it also similar to the um the the con- conception of family I think that like as adop- adoptees I think a huge um kind of lesson that we've really been ingrained as family is what you make it and family does not exactly have to mean mm, yeah. um, biological or blood family um, and that your chosen family and your kind of homemade family as I like to see it is just as important and so that's just another way of viewing relationships that, um, that really resists against this very I'm like limited boundaries yeah. that we see in our society. Norman. Yeah. Norman. Yeah. Cause see, I've noticed even speaking with
0: people who uh, you know, like by blood, their parents are their parents. Right. But then even speaking to a lot of people recently, there's a lot of that I've heard of experiences they have where I don't even talk to my mother or father or siblings and they're related by blood. I was like, yeah, family really is truly the people that you decide to surround yourself with and share mm-hmm. with. So yeah, that's, that's another, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, now I think it's a good time to go into our, our my last two questions that I was like to ask. Yes, have you been back to China where you were adopted from? Do you want to go back or have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, um, I haven't gone back, no. I didn't want to for the longest time. Um, I think partially because I was kind of in that adoption fog where I kind of yeah, like the my identity. I didn't really consider it, but now, really um, having a few years of really kind of um, processing that, I do want to go back. I think mm-hmm. maybe I I want to do a little bit more healing from my trauma and you know maybe try try and learn some mandarin and things like that and but i i I ultimately do want to go back and i want to go on a a homeland tour and visit my orphanage and go around and yeah nice
0: yeah i mean there's time for that too i don't think i don't think there has to be a rush by any means no not at all there's no no rush you do it when you do it (laughs) Is there anything you would like to hear from other adoptees or others who their adoption has become a huge part of their life?
1: Hmm. Um, I really would like to hear from other um, trans adoptees and queer mm-hmm. adoptees, and um, as well as I think that there's a huge focus on adoptees who are um, like girls or cis girls and I think it would be really nice to hear from as well as like guys as well I um it's interesting so the um in my like little group of folks who are adopted there are four of us um and two girls and two boys um well <laughs> you know one and a half girl <laughs> ah, yes. but um yeah and I think it would be interesting to kind of hear um those kind of perspectives from those folks so yeah 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 I definitely want to as well
0: I I was very excited when I got to interview a guy (laughs) and that episode was fun because it was truly hearing the perspective because I not to say that all us females who identify as female don't have different things about our stories because we do we all do except there are a lot of common commonalities common similarities that we all share that are sort of not that exciting that's not Girl, nice to say, I, <laughs> I hope to be able to speak more with other adoptees Chinese adoptees adoptees in general who identify part of the LGBTQ community too mm-hmm. so I think yeah. there's more opportunity I think by having you speak to and I want to say that people would probably reach out to you who do identify with the community or struggling or learning more about themselves in the community yeah
1: yes. I think that um just like to letting folks know how like I think we see like wow like this person's living their authentic gender they you know they're out there and they're they like they tell people yes I'm out I'm out and I'm I and I use these pronouns or like you know I'm getting or like these folks who like have transitioned with surgery and hormones and all those kinds of things and wow and I think we praise those folks but I think that there's there's um there's so many folks who are trans but who have to be in the closet and have to um for their faith here and I think that it's just as valid and um just as important to um to recognize those folks yes
0: yes yeah definitely well it's a, really yeah. a really good it's a really good ending note honestly i don't think yeah. you could end on a much more powerful note than that comment that you just made well i would say this was fun i'm, I'm glad i was able to finally speak with you and record This was so fun. I'm glad glad you enjoyed yourself. I was like, I. Because I was very conscientious of the questions I was asking too, because I didn't want to sound rude or disrespectful either, too. That's always like a conscious effort I want to make, too. I
1: get
0: that, yeah. Yeah, it's like more of a sensitive material, too. So it's like, you know, it's still pretty sensitive right now, as what you were just
1: saying. Do you have any. Social media you would like to share? I guess I'm most active on the Instagram. That's what the young hip kids are doing these days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, so like I said, I still do my art. I am sage and spice paintings um, on Instagram. And yeah, that would be, you know. That's the best way to, best way to reach yeah. yeah,
0: that's awesome. You still do your art while also pursuing the science too and related to trauma so i was like to say goodbye for now i think that's just become something i've done unintentionally and now it's a joke but it works <laughs> so goodbye right. for now
1: I'm goodbye sure.
0: <laughs> goodbye <laughs> and yeah that would be all thank you for listening to abc you can reach us at adopted at gmail.com if you would like to share your story and also Adopted Babies from China pod on Facebook and Instagram. And if you like what you hear, if you want to contact Sage, please do so. Sage is a very open book. Yay!
1: Alright! Bye! See you, folks.